It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When it comes to tea, one of the top companies in the game is Unilever. It's behind household brands like Lipton, PG Tips, and Tazo. And so it's a big deal when it decides to sell a part of its tea business last year. Private equity firms love to buy kind of units of big conglomerates. They think that this is like where they can really shine. The FT's Kay Wiggins says some of these private equity firms had been eyeing Unilever's tea business for years. They think they can often buy a division of a company that's maybe been a bit unloved within this wide, sprawling conglomerate, and then they can run it independently as a standalone business and invest in it and make it more valuable independently. In other words, it's a great business to flip and ideally turn a profit on. But preparing to bid for a business like this, it's no small task. They'll start out by kind of assessing um, the company itself and its financials and then and then its competitors and the market, the wider marketplace. They'll do layers and layers and layers of analysis of that, of, of how much money the company could potentially make in the future, what you could do differently, which jobs could potentially be, um, which jobs could potentially be cut. Eventually, three private equity firms emerge as leading bidders. They're the U.S.-based Carlyle Group and Advent International and Europe-based CBC Capital Partners. But then, in the run-up to the bid deadline last November, something happens. Just days before a final bid deadline, Carlyle withdraws altogether. And then Advent, in effect, drops out too. So that leaves just CVC. It's not clear to me whether how, how aware CBC was in those final stages of the bidding process of the fact that it was actually, in effect, the only bidder. Um, because, because until then, they had thought they were bidding against Advent and possibly even Carlisle. CVC declined to comment on this. But in the end, Unilever announces that it's accepted CVC's $5 billion offer to buy its tea business. So... Take a step back and think on this. These three firms spent a bunch of time, energy, and money working on bids to take over a tea business for billions of dollars. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, two of them disappear. Weird, right? It catches Kay's attention, too. When it emerged that at the 11th hour of an auction process to sell this business, like some of the bidders had pulled out either either entirely or partly of the sale process. This was the moment that we thought, hang on, there's a potentially a really interesting story here. So 
Sources tell the FT that some of the bidders dropped out over concerns with the working conditions on Unilever's tea plantations in Africa. But one private equity firm did stick around. And soon, it's going to take over the business. This acquisition represents a new challenge for the private equity industry. They've long been known for doing things like cutting wages and jobs and keeping a very close eye on the balance sheet. But now, more than ever before, investors are scrutinizing private equity firms' ethics. On today's episode, we're looking at how Unilever's sale of its tea business has become a testing ground for how private equity approaches the pay, working conditions, and safety of some of the world's most vulnerable workers. I'm Michaela Tendera at the Financial Times, and this is Behind the Money. When you're trying to understand how companies like Unilever started operating tea plantations, you've got to look into the past, all the way back to Britain's colonial empire. Kenya's Kericho County is an ideal place for growing tea plants. The land has rich, fertile soil and a warm, temperate climate. That land is so appealing that as the British Empire expands to Kenya in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, they decide to cultivate that land. A few years ago, a complaint was submitted to the United Nations that explains how that takeover happened. Indigenous people, some of whom are still alive today, say that the British came to Kericho and a neighboring county, drove out the people who were living on that fertile land, and made it available for white settlers to take over. So eventually, tea companies come in and start plantations on some of that land. Judith Evans is the FT's consumer industries correspondent. She explains that tea companies would tend to bring in new groups of laborers from other areas and set up sort of a small town for those employees. And then obviously because of the remoteness of the location, they would end up really um, providing everything for those people. So they would end up producing kind of workplace housing, schools, you know, pharmacies. And now, decades later... This system that came about in the wake of British colonization is still used to this day. Unilever enters the picture when it buys the tea brand Brook Bond in 1984. Brook Bond operates in the fertile Caricho County. Over the years, Unilever has tried to paint a rosy picture of plantation life. For example, listen to this promotional video that the company put out. Those of us who work here like to say it is where goodness is born. Whenever someone halfway across the world sips a cup of our tea, they're tasting the goodness of these fields. Unilever's developed a reputation as one of the better employers in the industry. It told the FT that the companies offered its Caricho plantation workers things like paid annual leave, paternity and maternity pay, and free food during working hours. But this is a sector that's also rife with human rights abuses. And Unilever's faced accusations of an unsafe work environment at their plantations. One incident in recent memory really brings into focus how much these workers rely on their employers for safety. Here's a newscast from Al Jazeera. It's a country where more than half the population live in poverty 
and it's never seen an election campaign as close as this one. A president once universally popular with people engaged in a search for a better life is now struggling. If the opinion polls are to be believed, he could lose power to a former ally. In 2007, Kenya holds a national election. It's a race between incumbent president Mwai Kibaki and opposition leader Raila Odinga. It's a close and heated campaign. Kibaki is declared the winner, but Odinga contests the results. Fellow Kenyans, we have in the last two days witnessed... His party alleges election fraud, and this sets off multiple waves of chaos and violence throughout the country. The AP captured video from the time after the election. One video shows a gas station on fire. There are massive plumes of black and gray smoke rising into the air. A car is being consumed by flames. Another video shows a fire truck coming down a road, crowded with people. With sirens blaring, water is sprayed in powerful jets on a smoking structure. A United Nations group eventually concludes that more than 1,200 people are killed as a result of the violence. During this time, that violence finds its way to the countryside, to Unilever's Caricho Plantation, and to a woman named Helen Nyaboke. And when the chaos from the contested election spreads to the plantation, it changes Helen's life forever. Helen, speaking through a translator, told an FT reporter that her husband was killed in one of the attacks. Someone struck him with a machete. One of her sons was beaten to death. Helen managed to escape by hiding in the tea bushes where she normally spent her days working. In the aftermath of all this, Helen says Unilever provided some help. She and other workers are evacuated to her home county more than 40 miles away. She says she went six months without pay following the violence. And she says she was eventually paid the equivalent of about $100. But... She feels that Unilever should have done more to help her after the attacks. In 2020, a human rights complaint is filed to the United Nations by almost 220 current and former workers from Unilever's Caricho plantation. It says that at least seven people were killed and more than 50 women were raped on that plantation following the election. Helen wasn't part of the complaint, but her issues with the company are in sync with what is alleged. The workers say that Unilever knowingly placed them at a heightened risk of attack after the 2007 elections and then failed to help them afterward. Unilever says it provided, quote, significant support, unquote, to the victims in the election's aftermath, and that it, quote, fully rejects any allegation that it failed in a duty of care to employees or their families, unquote. But this event has not been the only issue on the plantations. Between 2008 and 2013, a Dutch NGO and a television documentary separately alleged that some of the senior staff sexually harassed women workers on the Caricho plantation. Unilever responded by introducing things like new training and more female leaders. They also added new dedicated welfare and human resources roles, peer counselors, and an ethics hotline. So if you're a private equity firm looking to get into this sector, history shows the type of risks and challenges you'll probably face. 
it's far more than just turning a profit. On the business side, the FT's Judith Evans points out that things have also been challenging for Unilever. It's not been doing especially well in in recent years. It's sort of slightly in the doldrums. Um, It's sales growth rates, which is a really key metric for the sector, have been a bit lackluster. And while Unilever has been the world's largest tea maker at roughly $2 billion in annual sales, the tea brands haven't necessarily been a major part of the company's overall business. In 2020, the division made up less than 5% of the company's total revenue. Black tea is very commoditized. There's an intense price pressure on the sector. So the margins are quite low and it has been pulling down Unilever's growth rates for more than a decade. So it was quite well signaled that they might sell it. The FT's Kay Wiggins says this type of deal is part of private equity's bread and butter. That's a very standard private equity playbook. That's like business school textbook kind of private equity play. They call it a corporate carve out. But then Kay and other colleagues figured out that the other firms had specific concerns about taking over Unilever's tea business. They were worried about ESG related concerns. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. It's a set of factors that investors use to evaluate a company's operations. And it's become more important to private equity firms over the last couple of years. So private equity firms, a lot of the money that they have to invest basically comes from like public pension funds. Mostly, lots of them are in the US, but you know, around the world as well. But a lot of these big public pension funds are now turning around to the private equity groups who they allocate money to and saying, hey, please tell us what you're doing when it comes to ESG. And private equity firms need to have an answer to that. Kay says that more and more firms are hiring teams of people to oversee what they call ESG metrics. So then they can actually answer those questions from their investors. The worry is, obviously, that if they have insufficient answers to their investors' questions, then maybe those people won't commit money to their funds in the future. So they are under pressure to be seen to be acting in the right way when it comes to kind of ESG questions. So the other firms pulled out. It just seemed like the sort of business where if things went wrong, their investors would have some really difficult questions for them. But not CVC. CVC stands by its decision after it wins the bid. They say they conducted their own due diligence before making an offer. They hired the consulting firm EY, which went and visited the Carricho plantation. CVC says they found that Unilever had what they call industry-leading policies and procedures. EY, citing client confidentiality, declined to comment. So with all the other bidders so hesitant to make an offer... Why would CVC want this business? Kay says it has little to do with the tea plantations. It wasn't like they looked at this and wanted to be running these tea plantations. They wanted to be running a company that had a good management team, that had scope to grow in emerging markets, that could be run as a standalone company. They liked the fact that you could market this as a kind of plant-based product, which might seem kind of obvious that tea is from plants, but it's very much in fashion at the moment. Kay says CVC is also aware of the ESG angle of this investment. CVC do say on the Unilever tea business that they want to improve its 
ESG credentials. And I think people close to CBC would would think that actually there's potential there for that to be part of the way that they like make the company more valuable in the future if they can address some of these problems on the plantations, at least in theory. I think in practice, that's going to be very difficult. Because like we talked about in our episode with ESG whistleblower Desiree Fixler, ESG is a very nebulous thing. People in private equity will try to create lots of easily measurable metrics by which they can say we've improved this in this way, we've improved this, you know, we've we're measuring the CO2 emissions, we're maybe measuring the um, amount of recycling, we're maybe measuring the waste we produce. There's all sorts of things you can measure. And then there's lots of stuff that is about the way a company's run that is kind of less tangible. So there are lots of questions for the private equity industry about whether they're having a meaningful impact beyond sort of stuff that is a tick box exercise because it's easy to measure. Kay says that this whole idea is an about face from the way people often think about the private equity industry. The private equity industry has a reputation for doing the opposite to this, right? For, for cutting wages, for cutting jobs, for, you know, looking at companies in a purely financial manner and having little regard to the social implications of their activities. And so um, I think that the private equity industry is very keen to rewrite that narrative. But what may work against that goal is time. Private equity firms like to sell a company within two to five years of buying it. Lots of the issues that we came across in the reporting about what's happening on these plantations are not issues that are amenable to a quick fix. They're things that have been ingrained for a long time. Kay explains that private equity firms like to think broadly when they're reorganizing a company. They tend to have a playbook that they use to buy a company and then get it ready to sell. There's different sort of levers that they might pull, like cutting production costs or adding clever marketing. So addressing questions of political violence, of colonialism's legacy, that is far from the usual playbook for CBC. There was a stipulation with CBC's agreement to buy the tea business from Unilever. CVC will be sheltered from any potential future cost of claims related to Unilever's previous treatment of its workers. But some of the challenges from Unilever's time running the business will carry over to CVC. Experts working to support the rights of tea plantation workers say that issues in the tea industry are systemic, and they impact workers not only in Kenya— but also in other places in Africa and India where tea plantations are. And so on the Kericho plantation, there are at least three big issues at hand. Job security, pay, and worker safety. The first issue, job security, has to do with how tea is typically collected. Usually, workers pluck it by hand. But over time, Unilever has brought in tea harvesting machines, which means they've needed fewer workers in the fields. A union rep for the pluckers told the FT that this has led to job cuts. The number of staff on the Caricho site eligible to join a union fell about 50% over the last decade. And when workers lose their jobs on a plantation or accept voluntary early retirement, as was the case at Caricho, they can also lose their homes. 
This will be a new challenge for private equity. They're used to a much more standard form of employment where you give someone a job offer and a job contract and they do that job and, you know, they go home at the end of the day and they, you know, their housing and health and education is is their own personal issue, right? The second challenge is pay. Tea pickers say they aren't making as much money as they used to. That's because they get paid based on how much tea they pick. And now, because of the machines, they say they have to walk farther away to find tea. Helen Nyaboke, who we met earlier, says that her monthly pay fell to less than half of her normal basic wage in 2016. Helen says she couldn't find work anywhere else, so she stayed on with Unilever until 2018, when she took a voluntary retirement deal. Unilever denies that the new technology affected their workers' pay. They say, quote, Changes in take-home wages for field-plucking staff may vary because of the seasonal nature of tea crops or because some workers pick more in a day than others, not because of mechanization, unquote. Unilever made a pledge to pay all workers in its supply chain a living wage by 2030 and says that its tea division will maintain the pledge under its new ownership. And then the third issue for CVC is worker safety. Looming over this deal is the fact that general elections are coming up again in Kenya. They're set to be held in August, which is just around the time that CVC expects to take charge. It's difficult to predict if there will be violence in the election's aftermath again. But a union rep for the plantation workers told the FT for a story published in February that the clock is ticking. They said new security measures are needed for the plantation's workers before the election takes place. There's very little information available at this particular moment publicly about what CBC is planning to do, how it's preparing to deal with any issues that may arise as a result of the elections. Um, we just, to a large extent, have to wait and see. The stakes are quite high at the moment. It matters how CBC handle this stuff. And it is, in general, much harder to scrutinize and monitor and understand what's happening when private equity is in control of a company because the standards for disclosure are lower than they would be if the company was listed. There will potentially be some extra opportunity for transparency, or at least the pressure to avoid another scandal. Kay reported earlier this year that CVC is planning to file for its initial public offering sometime in the fall of this year or in early 2023. As a listed company, a lot is going to have to change for them. There's going to be a lot more accountability and a lot more scrutiny of the way that they operate. And that, I think, will be a big factor for them in them managing this tea business and the tea plantations. But it does mean that they have to start answering questions from analysts on a relatively regular basis. And those analysts are able to ask questions in a, more, in a much more public space, and they could ask questions about the plantations and the tea business. They'll be very aware that there are far more eyes watching what they're doing at the moment than there would have been had they been remained a private company. As CVC gets ready to take over, Helen Nyaboke has moved on a bit. <laughs> she continues to live in Caricho, off the plantations, with her other children. She does casual jobs for tea workers around the plantations. She says she couldn't afford to move her family back to her home county. So for now, she's staying put. 
But often, she says she still walks to the plantations where she lost her child. And she says she's still waiting on Unilever to take responsibility for the consequences of the violence that upended so many lives nearly 15 years ago. Behind the Money is hosted and produced by me, Michaela Tendera. Reporting from Kenya by Andres Chapani. Translation and additional reporting by Donald Magomere. Stephanie Horton is our contributing producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Special thanks to Jessica Dye. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.